All right, for the people at home, good morning. Hope you guys are having a fantastic weekend. Um, my name is Byron. I'm here with the coach, Humberto, the executioner on Instagram. And today is our first episode, pilot episode of our podcast. Myself competed one time in the classic physique division. I'm currently on prep here for nationals shortly. Humberto, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited about this. Um, I figure I, I'd introduce myself for the people that, uh, that don't know who we are. I was born and raised in Cancun, Mexico. I moved to Canada at the age of 19 in 2006. I graduated from the Asper School of Business in 2011 at the University of Manitoba. The major was marketing. And after that, I decided to almost 10 years now. And I've been coaching for five years. Myself, I have been competing since 2009, so that's about 12 years. I've done 15 competitions, and yeah, highlights in my bodybuilding career will include the 2016 provincial overall title, the Mr. Manitoba in bodybuilding. In 2017, I made the switch to classic physique. I won the overall as well that year, and in 2019, I won my class at the international slash pro qualifier level in the Toronto pro qualifier in classic physique. I prepped for a show last year, but unfortunately due to the circumstances that show was canceled. So I've done 16 preps, but only 15 shows. And yeah, that's about it. I've been coaching athletes, as I mentioned, for five years. I love everything that has to do with bodybuilding. Uh, I love every single category. Each one has their own beauty, their own criteria that, uh, that is, it's all very interesting to me. But before we continue, I'm just curious here myself, is there one class specifically that you prefer to coach over another or are they all relatively like equal? I, you know, honestly, I think if I say equal, it's, it's going to sound like bullshit, which it probably is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was all bullshit uh, too. yeah, you know, uh, and, you know, the, the reason for this post- podcast too is I want to... I want to be as transparent as I can. I want to get as much quality information based on my own experience as I can, um, which is going to require transparency and honesty, right? Uh, So I would say that as a male category, classic physique is very dear and and close to my heart. In my opinion, I love bodybuilding. I love watching freaks. I love coaching freaks. It's a lot of fun, you know, to really watch those physiques evolve and transform into something really freaky, something that is almost unattainable. For, uh, for the average person, let's just say that. Um, but classic physique almost embodies both. It's, it's a good balance between men's physique, which is the, the most aesthetically pleasing physique, and bodybuilding, which requires size and freakiness. So it, I believe that in the middle, uh, it was very, uh, we were very fortunate that that class was introduced because it combines almost the both. You have aesthetics, you have, the definite requirement of having a small waist, uh, the X-frame is very important. The X-frame is important in all the categories, but I find that in classic physique, it's very hard for someone to become a champion with a really wide waist, uh, which, is why, which is why the vacuum pose is very popular because it accentuates and makes your physique have, uh, look like it has a smaller waist. But it also, you know, requires size. It's, it's, it's general balance is size. The posing is very important in classic physique. The posing is important in all the categories, but I think in order for you to establish yourself as a strong classic physique competitor, you have to have posing abilities. You, you, you must be able to excel in the presenting, in the presentation of your physique. Um, more that maybe slightly more than other categories. Um, you know, other categories have either less or more poses. Classic physique has nine mandatory poses. Um, and I think it's very important to know not only how to just present the mandatories, but also the transitions, the posing routine, just how you get into those poses and how you present those mandatory poses as well. Uh, and the creativity to create your own classic physique that accentuates your body the best way possible. Hold on. And there was, <laughs> I was also going to say, and in the female category, I would say I really like, I really like the bikini category, but wellness is becoming more and more a favorite of mine. I really like what the wellness category is about. 
it allows for certain individuals with certain genetics to take the training to the next level. We know that in the bikini category because we have set in a specific criteria overdevelopment in certain muscle groups, such as uh, you know the lower body, the hamstrings, the glutes, the, uh, the quads, and the shoulders. It would hurt a bikini competitor, whereas in, in wellness, um, you know that's actually what it's it's wanted. So someone that perhaps is prone to develop their lower body and you know, wants to do bikini will encounter themselves uh, with, a, with a situation in which they have to make a decision. They have to really compromise the fun out of a training, the intensity out of, out of a trainer, the training to really design a program that is going to keep them within the bikini category. So uh, between bikini and wellness, I would say that's uh, what I personally um, enjoy watching and coaching the most. I, I think I think for the people that are local, especially like you have become very well known for the bikini athletes that you produced over the years. I mean, when it's kind of like an inside joke a little bit, but I mean, when you have, you know, our own friends who call you the bikini whisperer, that speaks volumes, I think. Right. But uh, <laughs> I, I actually hate that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, in all honesty, I mean, I have to be honest, like the secret weapon in our coaching when it comes to particularly the female category, specifically the bikini wellness and figure is uh, my wife and posting coach for Atlas, um, Katrina. She is very, I would say that a good 50% of the process and a good 50% of the outcome when it comes to show day is it's attributed to her because she ensures that they're able to not only present their physiques in the best way possible, but most of the posting clients that she has uh, report that it's, it's a very, it's a very particular, specific, and almost therapeutic um, moment with them because they, they get to really talk to a fellow female competitor about the process. And especially the beginners, they get to ask questions to an experienced competitor. I'm not going to say, because I don't know every single you know, bikini posing coach out there in the world. Like, I'm not going to say she's the best out there because that would be very ignorant, I think. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. But in my opinion, she's definitely up there. She's definitely one of the best ones because of her... She. <laughs> She just loves two things. She just loves the sport and is really passionate about transferring her knowledge to others, but also she's an excellent communicator. So in order for you to be able to be a good posting coach, you have, you have, and coach in general, you have to be a very good communicator. Um, you know, sometimes I think the language barrier could become an issue in certain circumstances. Uh, if the communication is not strong enough, if you're not really able to communicate what you're trying to the athlete to do, then there's going to be a problem and, and the athlete will not be able to, to get to the potential where they could get. Whereas, you know, if, if anyone has experienced a posing session with Kat, they know how specific, strict, and, and, and how hands-on she is with her posing. If something is off, she's not going to let you continue. Like she, she needs to ensure that you're 100% in every single one of the poses, poses at all times because she understands that when you're on stage, that's how it is. In that moment, the moment the lights hit your physique, the moment you step stage on the physique and you, you, you haven't even gotten to, the, to, to where you're going to end up in the lineup, the moment the first set of eyes hit your physique, you're being judged from your walk, from, you know, how, how that first impression becomes to the judges and the audience, everything matters, right? So she ensures that within the posting sessions, everything is really addressed. So when you're on stage, there's no surprises. And, and, and even if you haven't done a competition, you're so prepared, you're so provided and communicated with information that is important to show they, that it almost feels like you have been on stage. So. Well, it's that support system that um, yourself and your wife provide, not just to the bikini athletes, but all athletes, right? The service is second to none. And I could tell you right now that if I were to ask anyone past and present who has been a client of yours, they would say the same thing. The support system is something that you can't put a price on, right? Especially when it comes to the mental aspect of prepping. So I think the volume of work speaks for itself. Yes. Support system, uh, you know, if... For anyone that has experienced a prep or has done a bodybuilding show, regardless of the category, for anyone, or perhaps for someone that is considering uh, stepping on stage in the, in the first time, it definitely helps. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's impossible to go through a prep and, and do a show 
without the support system or without the support of your family, friends, and significant other. But it definitely makes it makes very it- challenging if, if you don't have it. Yeah. Um, it's it's. I think it's what would at one point in certain circumstances make a difference between someone, um, you know, turn, from turning pro or remaining amateur because the higher the level you go, every single aspect and element in your bodybuilding journey is going to have that much more, uh, more importance. You know, for a first time regional show, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a matter of doing your absolute best with what you have and with the, the limited knowledge that you have. Now, every time after that, something needs to be improved, right? Sometimes it's uh, the nutrition aspect. Sometimes it's just the adherence, not cheating on your diet, um, you know, just learning to train harder, le- learning to do exercises that you absolutely hate. There's always a way to improve from your previous prep. And that should always be the case. It should always be the goal as you continue to compete, if that's what you choose to do. Um, because you can't expect progress if things just remain the same. Uh, but yes, is, is definitely uh, something that is very, very, very important the more and more you do this. Of course. Um, okay. So initially we talked about doing this podcast so we could be 100% transparent and just, you know, really provide um, both outlooks essentially on certain questions that people would ask us, correct? Uh, now we took a poll on Instagram, uh, yourself and myself, and we came up with a couple questions. Uh, let's start with one of those. What do you think? Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, okay. So this is kind of a basic question. We'll start with this one. How would you think that certain exercises impact women and men differently to elaborate on? I think the person asked this question based off the anatomy of the male body versus the female body, obviously women having bigger hips, men, not so much. Do you want to answer that one? Absolutely. In my opinion, in in my personal experience um, as a coach, I don't find that there's a lot of differences between a specific exercise and what it can provide for a physique's development. However, I think what makes the difference are a couple of things when it comes to how that physique develops. One is the genetics of the individual. That's going to be something that is going to be more and more evident as the individual continues to train and continues to push their physiques to, to be developed. Uh, and another thing is the, the criteria by which their training program is designed. You know, for example, you, you wouldn't have, or it wouldn't be advised to have the exact same training program for someone that is training for a bikini than for someone that is training for women's physique, for example, right? Bikini for the ones that are not really familiar with the categories, it would be considered the least muscular female category in bodybuilding. Uh, the emphasis on this category is the, uh, the development to a certain point of the glutes. Uh, but more, than, more than anything, they're looking at that the glutes are developed in the upper and outer regions, that they have a nice but not too evident tie-in of the lower glute with the hamstrings. There should be some hamstring de- de- development. The quadriceps development is not something that is necessarily desired because it, it would take that look a little bit closer to other categories, such as the wellness category. Um, they do want an X frame, a small waist, and overall great presentation. So given these criteria, since those are going to be the things to emphasize the training on, when you, when you have... Um, a completely different criteria, such as women's physique, for example. Women's physique is now the second most muscular category in the female uh, in the female divisions. Body female bodybuilding being the most uh, muscular category, right? So women's physique is women's physique is a category that wants development in every single muscle group, um, but they also still emphasize the femininity of the athlete. They don't necessarily want overly, de- overly developed develop arms, uh, but there's definitely uh, a need for development in every single other muscle group. And um, the level of conditioning, meaning the low body fat percentage requirement is definitely greater than in categories like bikini and in figure. Um, you know, the hamstrings, the quads, you do want the separation in them. So because of this criteria, it, it doesn't make sense to have the same type of training in um, in both categories. So the, for example, the back 
development and perhaps upper chest development of a category such as the women's physique category is not going to be something that is desired in the bikini category because it will take away from that look uh, in the criteria that they're looking for in this um, in this other category, right? So more so going back to my point, it really depends more than the exercise itself, just you know, isolating that specific exercise is factors such as um, you know, the frequency by, uh, by which you're training a muscle group, the volume that you're devoting to training a specific muscle group, you know, perhaps for certain people, the rep range. So these things are what are going to be uh, making the difference when it comes to attaining a certain look paired with uh, the genetics of the individual. So. Fair enough. That's actually a pretty good answer there. Very detailed for those at home. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's see here. I thought this one was actually very good because I feel like this often comes up fairly often, especially for local people. So what is your approach when you coach two clients that will go against each other, whether it be at the regional or the national level? Because if we're going to touch on this one, I think no matter who you are, if you are, you know, let's say novice to high level coach, it's going to happen. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, sometimes it's just inevitable. You know, you're two clients that are in the same, not only division, but potentially same category. For example, uh, you know, two people that are around the same height and they are doing, or they, they want to do classic physique, right? So if they are the same height, they're going to be end up in the same height category. So I think this is a very good question because it's almost one, one of those questions that everyone thinks about it and no one really wants to address it, especially the coaches, because they are afraid of what the answer may create to their business. Um, but the reality is that it happens. In my personal approach is, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not a judge. I'm a coach and my job is to bring the absolute best and bring each athlete as close to their full potential as possible within the time frame that we're working together. So when I talk to a client, when I design a program for a specific client, I'm only thinking about that client. I'm not thinking about their competition. I'm not thinking about, I'm not basing what I do on the other client that I have as well, or, or on the other people that he will be potentially against. You have to take a look at the, at the case uh, independently. So I take a look at this physique. I'm like, what is this physique missing? Um, based on the criteria that in, the, in this case would be classic physique. What do they need to improve on? Uh, what do they need to really, really work on, right? So I, I think about them and only them at this particular point. Now, when I talk to the other client that I know, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, denying the fact that we'll go against each other. That is something that is going to be definitely present. But I think that not only for the coach, but also for the athlete, it's very important to not be thinking too much about who they're going to go against. And I've had this conversation with clients too, because it's, it's almost like an elephant in the room. Sometimes they're like, they will bring up the other clients. Sometimes they will be concerned about it. It's almost like they want to, uh, they want to know if I'm on the other guy's side, right. Which as a professional, it's, it never should be the case. You know, of course I noticed that certain athletes may have potentially better genetics for certain categories, but it is my job to disregard that and to make every single athlete come up with as much progress and improvement within that season uh, as possible. And the rest is up to the judges. Like I am not like, if I'm judging already, I'm not, I'm, I'm basically going outside of my scope of practice. Like I'm not, I'm not a judge. I don't judge. I coach. So I focus on you. We bring up the best. Don't worry about the other people. Let's see how far you can get. Because if you're worrying Worrying about the others never really brings you true statute. Really worry about uh, worrying about yourself, focusing on yourself, and trying to bring the best possible version of yourself. That is, regardless of the outcome, 10 out of 10 times going, going to bring you satisfaction. So once you're on stage, then we'll find out. But if along the process you were thinking too much about the other athlete, regardless of the outcome, there's probably not going to be 100% satisfaction. There's always going to be like, Okay, maybe I should have focused. Regard, like you, even if you won, could you have been a better athlete? You have looked better. So, so this is definitely conversations that I've had, and this is, and I've experienced it myself multiple times. And it's, and it's, you know, when they want to talk about it, I'm definitely open to talk about it because I don't want them 
there's a lot of overthinkers out there. So I don't want them to put themselves in a mental situation in which the trust begins to diminish. You know, it's, it's, it's important for us to have a completely open line of communication so they can express their concerns and so that, that I can address them as well. Because it's everything when it comes to coaching. It's, it's the trust that, that you have on your coach. So when you pick a coach, if you don't have full trust, it, you're not going to be coachable. And it's it doesn't point. work. It doesn't work if you don't have the trust. So let me ask you this then. Okay. Let's say, for example, you've now given a client reassurance, you know, once, twice, three times. At what point is the point where it's now become an annoyance that you have to constantly reassure somebody that, you know, you're there to help them reach their maximum potential and maximize their results? What point right. does it so become? I, I'm definitely going to have the conversation multiple times, but there's definitely going to, to be a point in which if I give my absolute best into the coaching, we're not getting where we need to get because of something that it's out of my control. In this case, meaning the other person's mindset and attitude and their actions. Right. I try as much as I can to redirect their mindset, their attitude and their actions, but I can only do so much so that if we are getting close to the show and I just don't see myself being able to help them, I'm going to have that conversation. And, and, and it's not really just about taking their money. If I really don't think I can help them, then I will let them know and I'll bring that up. And, and, you know, sometimes that's a wake up call for them. They're like, okay, maybe he's got a point. Maybe I'm overthinking. Uh, but when it's kind of going back and forth, like the client needs to be willing to be helped, needs to be willing to be coached, needs to be willing to, to progress. If, if, if something's clouding their judgment, if something's really uh, weighing heavy in their mind that is preventing them from, from you know being their best possible version, then it needs to be addressed. And once it's addressed, if it's just not producing any progress from that particular issue, then there really isn't that much that I can do. And at that point, the ball is under curt. They have to make the decision whether they want to continue with me or not. Like it's not, and listen, it, there's there's cases in which in which uh, they don't even allow me to have that conversation and they just decide to leave, which is perfectly fine. It, after all, it is a business and, and the, the consumer being, you know, the, the athletes and whoever hires me as a coach, they have the ultimate say. They, you know, they have, they know they have multiple options. Um, you know, they know they can, if they want, they can just try something else. However, it's important for them to understand that um, having multiple options, having too much information out there, it, it can definitely become an issue because I've had clients that, you know, they say they put their full trust on me, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with uh, learning and getting more information out there. But when that becomes something that makes you overthink what we are doing here and you're starting to you're, look, you're allowed to ask questions by all means. I encourage that. But when it gets to the point where everything uh, is being questioned, when it gets to the point where, you know, there's always a rebuttal, there's always, there's a, a feeling of distrust, then that becomes an issue. And perhaps you should, at that point, you have to make a decision. Do I want to just fully trust my coach? Or do I want to keep getting confused by all the information that is out there? Because there's so much. A lot of it is good. A lot of it is bad. And even the good information out there may not pertain to you. You might not be ready for it. It might not apply to you 100%. And that is why you hired a coach. You have to remember that the reason you hired a coach is for this coach to guide you and to basically get you where you want to get, right? Let the coach make the plan. You guys just got to execute, essentially. Um, let's touch on like two things really quickly here, though. A lot of people get certain aspects mixed up. At the end of the day, fitness, coaching, all of it, it is a business, right? Now, there are personal feelings behind it, but some people almost get too attached personally and it ends with sour feelings. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always been of the thought that I have no problem, you know, really listening to my clients' issues, see what, where I can help and getting, so to speak, a little bit uh, closer to them in that regard, like establishing a friendship. However, I always make a point of still keeping some sort of barrier because in my opinion, in order for the coach-athlete relationship to work, there needs to be, uh, at the very least, a slight barrier. Because if things get a little bit too comfortable, 
it's less likely that the athlete listens to the coach. It's just, in my opinion, how it works. You know, it's, it's, that's why you will, in most cases, you, it's not advised that, you know, you coach your significant other, right? In most cases, right. um, because it's just too close. And, 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 you know, sometimes making the decision, uh, the, the differenti- differentiation between, um, you know, the significant other and the coach, it's, it's a little bit hard. Like, are you, are you giving me this, like the athlete might be thinking, are you giving me this advice because you're mad at me because of the, you know, the argument that we had like 15 minutes ago, or are you giving me, the, are you up in my car because I really need to, right? So it's, it's, it's <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's always going to be the, those situations. Like, are you, are you cutting me my, right now? <laughs> are you cutting my foot because you're mad at me or, but uh it's it, it's it's it takes a while, right? So yeah, you know, yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying um, it cannot be done. I've coached my wife multiple times, but it's it's definitely a learning experience. And at first, there's going to be a lot of a lot of fight. Um, yeah, some fighting. There's going to be a lot of uh, you know conflict. But if you're able to resolve that, then it actually makes it. Uh, it, it just enhances both relationships: the athlete coach and the you know husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's trust is, is, is the most important part. Fair enough. I would agree. Um, okay. We have a ton of questions. We have a set time limit. Let's try and get through some of them. Uh, okay. let's see here. Okay. Why is the saying less is more important when it comes to the use of PEDs? I think okay. we can both touch on this one from past experiences and obviously you yourself in coaching. Yeah, so going back to the plethora of information that it's out there, you will find a lot of uh, novice competitors, a lot of newbies, a lot of beginners, people that you know don't even necessarily compete or plan, or plan to. You will have them get information from certain sources where A, might be bad advice, or B, might be good advice, but then again, it doesn't pertain to them. If they are, just to give you an example, they're 185 pounds and they're taking, you know, PD advice from someone that is 310 pounds. No, it's just, no, come on, think. Like, it's not, you have to really be a, if you're going to do things on your own without hiring a coach, you have to please be a good critical thinker. You have to think more than just what that information is 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 telling you is it for me is it good advice who is it coming from what is their experience you have to ask questions because especially if you're doing it on your own because if you don't your pdus can be very dangerous it could be very dangerous short term it could be very dangerous long term and a lot of people are very impressionable they will see the big guy and you know whether it's their training or their pd advice they will just take that as their Bible and they they will just do that because they're big and that's what they're telling me. And I want to get there. So I need to do exactly what they're saying, which is completely a completely flawed way of thinking because yeah. it's just not applicable. You there's levels to this. There's, there's steps. And I don't know if it's the ego of the person that it's hard for them to accept that they're in a beginner stage. Uh, a lot of it is lack of patience as well. They think that, by upping their, their dose, by upping the number of, of agents that they use, they're going to get there faster. And that's rarely the case. When it comes to PDs, your body can only assimilate and handle so much. If there's going to get, get to a point, once your body has reached its, its limit of what it can handle, it's going to start, it will get to the point where of diminishing returns and it, it will get to a point that Anything past that point, it's nothing but negative side effects and things of, of that sort. So it's very important to, if you're going to hire a coach, get a feel as to what's their approach. Like when, I, when I've hired coaches, um, especially the last preps that I've done, one of the things that I have to get out of the way is like, listen, I'm very cautious when it comes to my uh, PED use. And it's not something that I take lightly. Um, you know, if they are okay with that type of approach and mentality, then we click. If I learn that they're, you know, they're probably pushers and they're very aggressive with, with their use then, or their recommendations and prescriptions, then it's, it's just not for me. Right. So you have to really think 
long term. You have to really do your research before you venture into this because there's a lot of people that just think about this, the cycle itself. And they don't think about long term. You have to really do your research before you venture into this because there's a lot of people that just think about this, the cycle itself. And they don't think about that it's actually a cycle, a cycle for, for something to be a cycle, there needs to be an on and there needs to be an off. It's not perpetually on, it's not forever on. And, and I think this is going to touch on another question regarding. Uh, it, it does. It does actually. Yeah, certainly. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait for that question. Yeah. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let me, yeah. Let's, say, let's go one question at a time, but let me put my, let me put my own opinion here on this one. Actually, Absolutely. you know what? Um, being, I guess, let's call it like a novice competitor, right? I see so many people around me who I personally consider abuse steroids, you know, at this point, right? Let's call it PEDs. I personally think abuse PEDs. Now, when you were a teenager and I was a teenager, you know, people people using the smallest amounts, you know, it would, it would be like an eye-opener to other people when they hear it, right? Someone doing, you know, half a gram of testosterone a week was uh, unheard of unless you were competing. Nowadays, you see people doing two, three cc's a week, stacking a cc of trend, whatever else. And it's insane. And you, and you know, I, I have some friends and obviously we're not going to name names, but I have some friends and I sit there and I go, you got to think about your liver health, man. You got to think about your reproductive system because soon none of that shit's going to work. You know? It's, yeah. It's, there's definitely a lack of uh, conscience when it comes to this. And, and, you know, when you, I, I've, and I know this because I've messed up myself. And this is the main reason why I know and I re I'm really passionate about being cautious and being um, being careful with it because it's nothing to be to, to be playing with. Um, you have to think about the PCT. You have to think about coming complete. Well, depends on the goal, but you either come completely off or you create some sort of what, what is called cruise, which is a, a low dose. It's um, a TRT almost, or just above a TRT level. Something around those lines, right? Yeah. Depends on the person, yeah, of yeah. course. But it's uh, <clears throat> it's important that you, like right before you do this, you have to learn the potential side effects and problems that it could create. Be aware, be prepared. Uh, think long-term, think about your health. Yeah. Uh, if you if you have to ha if you want to have kids in the future, that's something that you ha you have to definitely consider when it comes to coming off for how long and how to do things properly, uh, because a lot of things a lot of people screw themselves over, uh, and by the time they realize it's 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 almost too late. You've done permanent damage at that point for some people for sure. Um, okay, well I guess let's just cruise right into the next question then. So. This one I found was very, very good. Uh, being someone myself who at one point in my life, like I did abuse drugs, for someone that has an addictive personality with prior drug abuse, does this translate to the use of PEDs and how? What do you think? I would say so. Um, I think um, there's, there's a couple of things that need to be taken in, into consideration. I think uh, when it comes to this world and, and, and the use of PEDs, um, we all have, in my opinion, I've always believed that we all have some sort of degree of body dysmorphia. Um, Absolutely. Some of them, some degrees are, of course, more aggressive and elevated than others. Uh, but especially for people that get into this sport, there's going to be a slight factor when it comes to that. Um, now, it is very important that you learn to identify it. And, do, and, and it's very important that you don't let it affect your decisions or, and actions when it comes to bodybuilding and in life in general. The, the reason I bring this up is because there's there's a lot of people out there that I think it's in my in my experience is mostly guys, but there's a lot of people out there that they start they venture into a, a cycle that never ends, and when it comes to the thought of coming off, it's not physically addictive. It becomes psychologically addictive at, at this case, at this point. And when I, the very first time, like I, for years, I, I did cycles and I didn't come off long enough or didn't come off at all. At one point, I started to take my health more into consideration and I realized that I definitely needed to come off. And I'm not going to say that was easy. I came off for an entire year. And for someone that since they started, hadn't come off for longer than maybe four weeks, which is complete bullshit, but you're not coming off. You're, you know, who are you kidding? Don't try to kid yourself. You're not. You need to be off no. for longer than that. I, I, you know, I started to look in, in, into, you know, how to properly come off or whatever. And it was hard. It was a hard decision. I realized 
oh crap, like it's, this is, I'm actually starting to justify why I shouldn't or starting to come up with an approach in which maybe I could do a low dose. You, when you, the, the, the moment you start thinking like that, the moment you start talking like that, you almost sound like a heroin addict that is saying, well, I'm not dependent. I'll just come, I just do a little bit. And, and, and that's okay because it's less than what I was doing. You're still dependent on it. You're still, you know, basically. You can't let it go. You can't let it go. And you're trying to justify why you can't let it, why you shouldn't let it go. And you start to really kind of like convince yourself and have that, this internal conversation as to why uh, the wrong decision is the right decision. So, you know, it, it takes, uh, I think, you know, a, a strong enough person to accept, accept it, take action and, and, you know, do the necessary steps to, to kind of come up just like, I'm not experiencing other types of addiction, but, you know, from what I know and from what I hear, it's in that sense, it's similar, but the psychological addiction can be very powerful. Well, the psychological addiction, I mean, if we're to go a little bit more in detail, we won't name the compounds, but there are certain compounds that obviously it turns the pain receptor off in your brain, essentially, right? So you can train harder for longer periods of time. The next day you feel brand new. And then of course, when you come off of it, you don't have that benefit. You don't feel as strong, right? So it becomes psychologically very addicting and you don't want to right. lose that feeling you know and i think that's a big factor for a lot of people that don't want to come off it is they miss the strength and they miss the healing factor too so to speak going a little bit psychologically into this topic i think um the problem is whether it's a low level of self-esteem that allows them to start thinking of themselves or, or, as, or of their identity as something big, strong, and muscular. Right. Because the moment they start to think of themselves without this, they almost think that they have nothing. And, and this is my suspicion with, with a lot of cases. They are, and, and I'm basing this on my own experience because I've gone through it and it sucks. It's not, it's not you know, I'm not going to say, oh, it's super easy. Just go ahead and do it. It's going to be like, you know, walk in the park. But it's necessary and you have to do things sometimes that are hard, just like everywhere else in bodybuilding and in life. And in this case, you have to keep in mind why you're doing this, your health long term. So you're able to continue doing this. But um, I think in many cases, they just, you know, thinking of themselves as someone that is smaller or slightly weaker, which to a degree, it's going to happen. You're putting your body, you're getting your body out of a specific internal environment and, you know, things are just not going, like recovery is not going to be this. And that, in my, in my opinion, for me, that's the absolute worst. More than the strength, more than the, you know, the endurance or what is the recovery. Like the recovery is what messes me up because I try to train as hard as I, as I can and try to match to when I was on cycle. But the reality is that recovery is just not going to be the same. And obviously, if you don't modify your training accordingly, you're going to encounter yourself in a situation in which you can potentially injure yourself or, you know, your immune system can take a hit. You can get sick. You can uh, display, you know, um, symptoms of being sick and a fever, a cold or whatever. So it's, it's, uh, it's important that you modify it. And, and it's, it's, it's different. It's definitely different. And it's hard. If you actually stick to your nutrition, uh, you know, plan, and you try to continue with the training as much as it's allowed within your natural abilities, the regression is a lot lesser. Uh, I think the psychological part of, oh, why should I train this hard if I'm not going to get as big is what affects most people and where they can maybe regress 10 or 15%, they end up regressing 30, 40, 50%, right? They just, they just fall into this fucking mentality in which they're just like, I, whatever, I, I'm going to eat like crap. I don't care. You know, I'm going to, you know, maybe train once in a while, just fluff workouts. That mentality that goes along with it, it's like a slippery slope that gets you uh, a lot farther back than you potentially could have because of your mindset. Well, because the farther you fall, the harder it is to actually climb those steps back up and get back into the routine. Whereas if you just would have, you know, kept somewhat of a strict plan, you would have been okay. Of course, you're going to regress no matter what. You're never going to be as strong natural as you are on peds. You're never really, in my opinion, going to look nearly as good unless, you know, you're someone who's very conditioned and is natural. And well, you already know, of course, usually people with, who are natural, you see more of the lines versus somebody who is on peds, but that's a whole other topic altogether. <laughs> I think we could go on about this question for quite a while. Yeah, that's why I didn't comment in it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole because I know last time I brought this question up to you, natural versus enhanced. We 
Oh. We both got fired up. <laughs> we'll, save, we'll save it for a future date. Um, okay. Yeah, no comment on it. Uh, okay. This is more basic. What are some beginner mistakes to stay away from when it comes to training and planning and finding a coach? I don't want to go first. Uh, <laughs> you want to go first? I said I don't want to go first because I'll get too excited oh. about the, about the coaching. <laughs> <day>. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's put these or, or split this into two uh, avenues. The first one is going to sure. be if you're just doing it on your own, you're not competing, you're just trying to learn. And the other one is with competitive intent or having a coach. So on your own, you haven't even considered the fact of having a coach or anything. Um, one of the things that I've learned and I wish I knew when I was a beginner is the concept of planning your training long-term. And what I mean by this is realizing that in order for you to slowly progress consistently, more than slowly, just consistently, there needs to be a modification or, or change of a certain variable when it comes to the training, when you have hit some sort of plateau or, or when you're, what you're doing is not working uh, as much or at all. So what I mean by this is a perfect example is when someone then again copies, let's say, a workout of someone that is far more advanced than them. Mm. They will be able to go through it. They will be able to, you know, to perform or whatever. Their body will adjust. But after that, what you're going to have to do in order to progress is something greater in whether it's weight, whether it's uh, number of repetitions, whether it's number of sets, whether, whether it's number of exercises. So that concept of progressive, not only overload when it comes to weight, but just progression, it's something that is, that is um, paramount and very important to uh, consistent progress. So if you right off the bat, and this is the same with PEDs, not only with training, if you go right off the bat with like something really almost overwhelming, more than you potentially should have done, you're going to slowly screw yourself over because you're going, what are you going to have to do from that point forward in order to keep progressing? Um, and I think the more I learn, the more I realize that one of the key concepts or, or ideas that are lacking when it comes to the training is the concept of, of intensity. Of course, when you're first starting, you are only going to be able to go as hard as your current mental concept of intensity is. You go as hard as you can, but that's, that's your definition, that's your concept, that's your level. The point is to try to get past that concept of break that glass ceiling or break that level every time you step in the gym or every week or every month to learn new definitions of intensity. More often than not, these people learn it when they train with someone that is more advanced than them or when they train with someone that is more experienced and has that or train more intensely than, than they do. So you'll, you'll, actually, you'll actually learn and realize how some people working sets, they're, they're very advanced, they're very physically aware, the people that have very strong muscle mind connection, these people only need one to two sets per exercise, really working sets. This is not counting your warm up sets to get the job done. You know, I've posted sometimes, you know, my workouts and, you know, I've had, I've gotten some messages and comments. Was it just a quick one? Was it just a fluff? Was it just because it has very low number of sets? exercises too. And the reality is that I've gotten myself to a point over the, over the years where I can maximize a lesser amount of exercises and sets because of the intensity that I'm able to get to within those more than actually going to 70% or whatever it is of your intensity capabilities over four sets. I want to go hundred percent, 95% over two sets, over one set. And once you establish this parameter, it's a lot easier to progress because the intensity is there. So once you move or change small variables like 2.5 pounds of weight next time, it's going to make a difference because everything is very planned, is very consistent. You have a set plan. You have a set number of constants. So when you make one a variable, then that is what's going to create change. So I think a lot of people get either they copy what other people are doing, they get a little bit too ahead of themselves 
and they start training a specific way in which they're training. They have like 40 sets, 50 sets, 60 sets of, you know, per muscle group. And this is like, okay, um, it's going to be, it's impossible for you to give it a hundred percent in every single one of those sets. If you really think about it, you, you only have a certain amount of intensity within a, a specific session. You'll be able to get through the session, through the session and through the sets and through the remainder of the, of the session, but you won't be able to give it a hundred percent. So it's very, it's very hard to progress your numbers, your weight, and even your physique at one point when you're just almost like doing too much. Oh, it was a very good explanation. Very detailed. I wasn't expecting all of that, but, uh, it's, I think, honestly, if, if you really take this to heart and you really master the basics and the simplicity of, of, of certain movements over the course of time, you will be able to continue to progress. And that, I think, is the difference between, um, you know, someone that kind of like goes up and down, up and down, up and down yeah, yeah. and someone that even if it's slowly, they continue to progress. So long term, they get a lot further ahead than other people, because these other people that are doing almost too much when it comes to the training it's very common that they injure themselves. So that's going to set them back quite a bit. Or it's very, it's very uh, often that they, their bodies are just so exhausted, their joints, their, just their overall system is just so exhausted that they either try to continue training, but they're not able to because they're just not recovering or their bodies are just too beat up. You're, you know, you should beat up your body, but, but, in, but in a more intelligent way, planned way, not just doing a lot just for the sake of it. And very often, these people that train so, like, so uh, either so long or so many exercises, very often they're not really eating accordingly to what they should be doing. So that's another, you know, that's another aspect as well. Another big factor, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's important that, uh, and, and, and listen, in bodybuilding, you, you have to do a lot of things that you will potentially not want to do. And, and I encounter this situation or question very often with my clients. They, after four weeks, they're like, when am I going to have a, a program change when in reality it's 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 not really about acting according to feelings like you being bored of a program you being you're getting tired psychologically of a program is acting on a feeling not on a fact not on of what you are supposed to do and i'm not saying you shouldn't train your, uh, change your program but what i'm saying is that you need more consistency and you need to it's not going to take you four weeks to master a program it's not going to take you four weeks to make it impossible to keep continuing with this the same program but i think because people are not really thinking what is my goal with this program what is my goal going to into the session what is my goal you know with this set with this particular movement you know you want to add one rep you want to add five pounds. So as long as you have a goal, you're not going to get bored because you're really consistently trying to get like, if you, your intent is there, you're not going to, you're not going to be, you know, discouraged or bored after three to four weeks. Let's touch on that for one second. A lot of people will look at a program. Sometimes they'll think it's very basic and they'll, they'll think to themselves, Oh, how can I get the job done with this? But the reality of it is it's execution and intensity. And as long as the execution and intensity are always there, and like you said, progressive overload, whether you're adding two and a half pounds or two reps every session, you're slowing the eccentric, whatever, it's never going to get boring. The people I find who normally say, oh, that program is boring, are the ones who are always looking for an excuse to justify the lack of results, for example. That's just my opinion. It's it's it's, it's a specific type of mentality. They're uh, they're not prepared to endure and do what they're supposed to do for long periods of time, and that's bodybuilding. That's the definition of it. So you're basically trying to mold the process according to your feelings and what you think is what you should be doing. It's and I've and, and I've gotten this question very often. Like I, I provide a specific program with a specific training volume that I think it will be appropriate for the client. And, and and it's more sets than I would personally do, but because they're you know beginners, it will take them more repetitions and more sets in order for them to perfect the movement. And they'll ask me, oh, we add this, can we add that? I'm just not feeling like it's enough. You're not training hard enough. That's the end of it. You basically yep. have to go into each set, working set with a killer attitude. You have to basically like almost to the death, if you want to call it that. It's just, you have to put every single fiber in your being into that set. And if you do that consistently, there's absolutely no way you will not progress. I would agree without a doubt. Um, okay, let's let's both touch on what was like the biggest mistake initially when picking a coach the first time, whether it's lifestyle or competing. What was your biggest mistake? I'm sure we all have one at least. Mine, 
not not doing my research enough and just going by by what's um popular or what's hype or whatever you want to call it you know because you see hype, i don't i'm not a, a, <laughs> i'm too old to know i guess um, <laughs> I'm showing my age age there. Yeah. Um, No, but it's, it's, you know, I think most people, they'll ask their friend, Hey, who do you know? Or who do you think? And that's where it is. Right. Oh, let's go with this coach because um, you know, they seem to have a lot of clients or they seem to have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of popular choice or whatever online presence or exactly. So, the Instagram and, and, coaches. And, and, oh my gosh. And this is such an, an, another topic. I'll just briefly t- uh, touch into sure, this. Sure, sure. You have to, you have to be very smart when it comes to, you have to keep in mind that Instagram, social media, it's a highlight reel. You will have, you will only see, um, you know, the highlights or the, or the best transformations or the best, whatever that, that a certain coach is able to produce, right? Like it, that doesn't mean that all of your clients are through those, that transformation. That's, or that level of transformation. That's a reality. And that's like, you know, you, you may have a coach that has less clients and like, let's say a coach that has 10 clients and a coach that has a hundred clients. And out of the 10 clients, um, you know, let's say seven uh, get first places or seven make amazing transformations and there are three very average or not at all. And then you have the client with a hundred, uh, sorry, the coach with a hundred clients that, you know, 40 of them, you know, get to the desired outcome. Yes, it's more cases, but the actual percentage of success given the specific number of clients is less. You have 70% against 40%. So that's something that needs to be potentially taken into consideration as well. Another thing is... Like data-wise, you're just speaking on the bigger sample size, essentially, you know, 10 coaches or 10 athletes compared to 100. That's all it is. It's a bigger sample size. The point is um, that seemingly the information that you see online is not always what it seems to be. Uh, you know, someone may be perceived as a very highly successful coach with 100%, you know, improvement rate or, you know, top three at a pro qualifier rate, whatever the case may be. But this, there's just so many factors to take into consideration that you're never going to know. And, and some of them may be something that is relevant to you. You know, this, this one coach may, just to give you an example, may... Uh, not be very responsible where with their prescription of PDs, right? And yes, they all yeah. like a lot of them may win, but then after that, they're screwed for life, or they're screwed their health, or their mental health, or their attitude towards the sport because they were just pushed just so hard. And you should be pushed hard. There's a point in which the coach has to make a decision whether you want to break the client forever because their association with the sport may be may become negative and they may never want to do it ever again. Right. So that's another thing to take into consideration as well. That's a whole nother conversation, man, completely. Because the reality of it is, let's say we start talking about that, then we're going to start talking about eating disorders that can come from people that actually come off of doing a show. Let's save that for another future episode. Yeah. So, you know, the people listening to this and, you know, if you have any questions that pop, you know, to your, into your mind, next time we make a poll, please share them because as you can tell, we have a lot to say. So. There is no such thing as a stupid question. We've we've only scratched the iceberg, or we've literally scratched the tip of the iceberg right now, and we're almost going to run out of time. So let's end. I wanted to give my opinion on that coaching one, but I'll save it for next time. It might have been a okay. little, little bit dickish. Uh, <laughs> let's end. You know, you already know. Let's end on this one. Has bodybuilding aided or negatively impacted other areas of your life? I want to go on this one first. Um, Humberto, you and I were kind of talking prior to, of course, us starting this podcast right now. And I was kind of speaking on, you know, a past experience. I was in a relationship uh, with somebody for the better part of a year uh, when I was still, you know, just lifestyle, trying to get healthy. And the possibility of using a compound to lower the body fat and try and increase, you know, of course, muscle growth was talked about. And when I spoke to this about my partner, she basically treated it like it was a gateway drug, like as if it was like, you know, a parent talking to their child saying, well, if you use marijuana, you're going to do heroin. Get the fuck out of here. But that's kind of. <laughs> but, it, but when we're talking about this, this question specifically, you know, it, it impacted it so much to the point where I started questioning my, myself about am I doing or am I making the right choice by even considering using these things? Now, in hindsight, you know, not going to be rude, but, you know, we broke up, whatever. And, you know, whatever. But. At the same time, during that time period, though, it was a negative impact. And I will say, though, in a positive way, 
bodybuilding not only taught me structure, it gave me the discipline. It actually made me a better employee when it came to work because my time management skills became so strong. You know, um, obviously, you know, like my, my work shift is insane, 12 to nine every day, sometimes literally eight to nine every day. And then when it was prep, it was like, wake up, do fasted cardio from six to seven, get to work for eight o'clock, work until 9 p.m. at night. And this is when, of course, there was time slots at the gyms. So it'd be like having two gym memberships, go to one gym for cardio, and then at night go train at Atalo just to get it all done. It was fucking crazy. But I wouldn't trade it for the world because that discipline is something that you can't put a price on. And that's something that rarely can be taught, in my opinion. That's my view on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll, I'll try to wrap it, wrap it up as, as quickly as possible. But basically, main points that I want to touch on is if you have not experienced a bodybuilding prep, uh, it is something, it's probably the hardest thing that you'll ever do, but it's one of the most gratifying experiences you'll ever go through. The things that, have, that bodybuilding has taught me are things like uh, time management, uh, basically being prepared for the day. Uh, delaying gratification, which is something very important, not only in bodybuilding, but in life in general. And the concept that struggle is always going to be guaranteed in the process, uh, while the success is not. It's something that needs to be thought of. You know, you're, you're never guaranteed to succeed, but you have to make the decision of whether that is going to prevent you from going for it or that you're still going to you know, do things that most people are too afraid to do. Um, so that's how it's, it's affected positively. Negatively, I wouldn't necessarily call it a negative impact, but it's very important to realize that your brain power and your ability to pay attention to certain things is only limited. So the more you devote this attention and effort into something that could potentially hurt other areas of your life, uh, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, right? So understanding that concept and making a decision based on that concept, I think is very important too, because some people try to do too much at once and and the reality is that, again, you only have a certain amount of mental ability to devote to different aspects. That was a very good, very quick way to put it. You still had more time if you want to keep going. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's it in a nutshell, I think. In a nutshell? Okay. So I guess with us having just a couple minutes left, um, let's finish, close out by saying something uh, positive here. Um, you know, whether it's bodybuilding or life in general and just, you know, general health, um, mental health is a very important thing. Um, let's just keep it at this, whether it's work or personal life or whatever it may be. I think everybody should always find the time for themselves to do something that keeps them active and healthy, especially during this time with COVID. Um, I know we are going to touch on it during this first episode, but we just ran out of time. Um, it's important to find something for yourself that keeps you focused and can, of course, divert your attention from all the negativity in the world. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a, a life without goals and without purpose is just not really a life worth living. And whatever it is, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's a sport, a hobby, a goal, a business, you find something. And, and you're not going to find things unless you try them. And a lot of people, I think, um, fear is a defining factor for their lives. Uh, there's a lot of things that they may think of, they may even say they're gonna do, they may even put the first steps into it. And then for whatever reason, their own minds convince them to do otherwise and just to not take that further step because of fear. Um, just to quickly touch on, on something that I'm doing, for example, like right now I am promoting a show competition in Cancun. This is something completely new to me, but that completely excites me and therefore completely frightens me. There's so many things that I, I don't have 100% experience on. There's a lot of things that are unknowns for me. There's a lot of things that are risks. And, you know, it, honestly, it's kept me up at night sometimes, you know, the, the, the fear of failure, right? But at the same time, I think, in my opinion, for me, the fear of not going for it and that dissatisfaction is far greater than the fear of potentially failing whatever the concept for this particular case is. Because 10 out of 10 times when you do something that scares you, when you do something that you know you want to do or you should do, as hard as it may be, as much as you may be dragging, you know, dreading to do it, it's going to give you 10 out of times satisfaction. That's the end of it. You're going to feel amazing after it. I think the, the more it scares you, the better you're going to feel. 
the more confident you come out of it, especially, you know, I think to touch on it really quick, we got like five minutes left here. I think back to, you know, before I even first came to you rates and uh, found fitness in general, you know, I was literally this ex drug dealer who had, you know, just came off of uh, serving, you know, a federal sentence. Right. And uh, just imagine what it's like to be covered in tattoos and going into job interviews, for example, and you're terrified because you don't want to leave a negative, you know, first impression and you're hoping to get a job. You know, now we flash forward seven years later, almost. And it's like wearing a suit and tie to work every day, basically, and actually having a respectable job and, you know, this is like a whole 180 of where I was. It's man, none of that would have been possible if I didn't get out of my comfort zone and conquer those fears because I was fucking terrified, man. And I was, let's not even talk about bodybuilding, just trying to like get healthy to begin with. Cause like for me personally, I was a five foot five, five foot six man at 230 pounds overweight. You know, now it's like flash forward a few years later, like weighing 165 pounds again. The thought of being in front of somebody and being like, okay, we got to work on this, 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 and this. Here's your nutrition plan. The thought of it's scary on its own, but you can never achieve those things if you forever stay in your comfort zone. Yeah, that's a perfect example of it. It's just it it's it's just not something debatable. I think it's just something that just got to do it, it. That is that is is the truth, and 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 you know it's a scary truth, but it is still the truth. So. That's what I mean, man. All right. Well, Humberto, thank you for the time. Uh, thank you for all those who have decided to listen to our podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed uh, the opinions that we have. And if you honestly have any questions, there's no such thing as a stupid question. DM one of us. Uh, we're more than happy to answer it, whether it's on the next episode or eventually. Just be patient because clearly we didn't even get through all the questions that we had and there's only seven. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, yeah, thank you, Byron, for uh, making this happen. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great day.